You're listening to End of the Line on WRIR 97.3 FM Richmond. End of the Line is an ongoing podcast about the pipeline struggles in Virginia and the Mid-Atlantic. I'm Whitney Whiting. We are the top of the Blue Ridge Plateau. We are the headwaters for this region. We bought this property because of water. The hundreds, the thousands of water bodies that would be affected by these projects makes them absolutely unprecedented. And if only our neighbors in the valley knew what's gonna happen to their water. Over the last nine months, End of the Line has interviewed nearly two dozen people sitting in the direct path of both the Mountain Valley and Atlantic Coast pipelines. They've invited us, and listeners like yourselves, to tour the farms, creeks, and mountains that they call home. We've watched as they planted corn in the path of pipelines, held surveyors at bay, prayed, sang, chanted and marched, and delivered comments to their local and state government agencies. Every person's story is unique, but nearly everyone we've talked to has mentioned one thing, water. Those of us who were on the pipeline path were like going, oh my God, you know, it's gonna come through my property. What's this gonna do to my well? You know, we're all reliant on well water up here. The water, the water. You compromise our water, you compromise 10,000 miles of watershed. Four major metropolitan areas, 28 counties. In the next two episodes, we'll hear from familiar voices on this topic, but also some new ones. David Sly, a former employee of the Virginia Department of Environmental Quality, who is taking the agency to task over the scientific integrity of its review process. It's mind-boggling to me that somebody could make the contention that they could do this in a way that's environmentally acceptable. And Bill Limpert, a Bath County landowner and former employee of the Maryland Department of Environment, whose property would be cut by the Atlantic Coast Pipeline, crossing some of the steepest mountains in the region. This is 20 square miles of land disturbance for this project on slopes that are already called landslide prone by the U.S. Geological Survey. They could easily damage hundreds of people's water and cut it off completely and not be responsible whatsoever. These days, when most people talk about pipelines and water, they think of one thing, leaks. Leaks are a well-documented hazard of any fossil fuel pipeline. But the most common refrain we've heard from frontline communities in the Appalachian Mountains is sedimentation and erosion. In other words, dirt. When you disturb, when you dig, when you rip out trees, when you change the form of the land, for one thing, you release sediment, uh, dirt, that can end up in streams. Now, a lot of people say, well, so what? That's David Sly currently Conservation Director for Wild Virginia and Regulatory Systems Investigator for the Dominion Pipeline Monitoring Coalition. The fact is that the release of large amounts of sediment, dirt, into these mountain streams can absolutely wipe them out. The individual impact for people 
is hard for them to grasp if it's not going through their property. Mert Reeves lives on top of Bent Mountain, where a tight-knit group of neighbors have consistently joined forces to keep Mountain Valley Pipeline surveyors out of their area. Bottom Creek is a Tier 3 stream. It's a recreational spot for a lot of people. It's a hiking area for a lot of people. It's a play in the water, go sit by the creek and drink. Uh, I mean, it's just where everybody goes. And it's the headwaters of the Roanoke River. And people started talking about, you know, if they put the creek, you know, the pipeline over all these feeder areas that feed into Bottom Creek, you know, what's that going to do? Is it going to poison our Tier 3 stream? Yes. Because <laughs> you know? right, we're up on the mountain. Yeah, we're on right. the plateau. Right now you're sitting on the plateau, which is flat on the top of the mountain, where all the water collects, filters through, and goes down to, to the people that live down at the bottom of the mountain. We all know that when rain falls on a parking lot, it acts differently than when rain falls in the park. Uh, water is supposed to be able to fall on the land, soak into the ground, enrich our groundwater, and be released to streams over time. That's the way nature designed it. Um, when we change that system, we change the whole cycle of how water acts. That water that used to soak in and replenish the groundwater sources no longer does that. And when you do that on incredibly steep slopes, when you do it over large areas of intact forest, when you remove those forests, you will have taken away the vegetation so that that rain will more quickly run off. There's an area where the pipeline would plunge down the side of the mountain, and the slopes there are considerably greater than 70, 80 percent. Some of them are almost like climbing up a, you know, a wall. They're, they're almost that steep. And the Forest Service listed this as one of the areas, their high hazard areas. This area is so steep that we have existing landslides that have occurred uh, within several hundred feet of where they want to put the, put the pipeline. Bill Limpert and his wife Lynn live in Bath County where the Atlantic Coast Pipeline would cross a section of their property that they named Miracle Ridge. Its slopes range anywhere from 50 to 80 percent on one side. In 2015, uh, a landslide 500 feet long, 37 feet wide, and up to 7 feet deep occurred on what we call Little Mountain within about 200 feet of where they want to place the pipeline and on similar terrain. Now, a landslide like that would expose the pipeline, could easily rupture the pipeline and cause a catastrophic explosion. Major rain events not only create landslides, but massive flooding. Carolyn Riley of Four Corners Farm in Franklin County says flooding in their area has been quite common. She showed us places where flooding has already created erosion and sent massive trees down the two creeks that would be crossed by the MVP. Flooding? Like every late summer for the last two years, there's been massive rains and these creeks have completely like come up. I mean, you can see where it's just knocked down. Like up to where, like some of like these two like trees? Like up to this, here? up to here. Oh my God. 
And there's trees. I mean, we have video of trees being completely washed downstream that have fallen and are just, this is totally, this, this is eroding. Like this has eroded since we've lived here and because of this massive flooding. Just a five minute drive from the Riley's farm, Mike Carter noted similar things on his parents' property, which sits along Teal Creek, a feeder to the Blackwater River. It's a flat area on top of that, but right behind my parents' house, which the Teal Creek is at the bottom of that slope, uh, it's 80 and 90 degrees on this hillside behind them. Much like the ACP proposes for the Limperts, Miracle Ridge, and Bath County, MVP proposes to run a section of its 42-inch pipe along the spine of this steep ridge above Teal Creek just behind his parents' house. And Mountain Valley's gonna cut their pathway through there and take out all the trees. And right up, upstream here at Teal Creek, a small unnamed stream empties into that that's approximately four or five feet wide in places. But during a flood situation, we've seen as much as 12 or 15 feet of water coming down that rift ridge, which it's all held in place by tree roots and ferns and small plants and just, and I can take you out there and show you. So when Mountain Valley digs through that and they disrupt all of that, you know that's gonna create more erosion going into Teal Creek and more sedimentation, which is gonna go downstream and ultimately end up in Smith Mountain Lake. Mike Carter cites the flood of 1985, which devastated the lower Roanoke Valley, even taking whole houses off foundations. This very small stream in their backyard that looks perfectly harmless became a raging torrent. Uh, it actually went over the bridge down here. It came up on their building down here in the floodplain. It filled that whole bottom with water. Uh, we saw hay rolls coming down through there. We saw parts of buildings coming down through there. Huge trees came downstream, and I can show you a, a, a snag that's down there now from the last flood situation where there's about four or five large trees all crossed up in the stream. So these small streams are very deceiving. There's a lot of water that comes through them when we have a flood event. So if you destroy more of the watershed and the trees that hold things in place, it's gonna be an even bigger event with more debris and more destruction. For folks in Nelson County, one past event stands out in memory to anyone who has lived there for more than 40 years. In the late summer of 1969, Hurricane Camille dumped over 27 inches of rain in less than five hours killing at least 125 people. Davis Creek, which is typically five to eight feet wide, swelled to an unbelievable 500 feet and rose from six inches to 75 feet. The Davis Creek community, through which Atlantic Coast Pipeline had originally intended to run, lost a total of 52 lives to the flooding. Several of the people we interviewed from Nelson County recalled the devastation that occurred. But according to Sharon Ponton, the reference was lost on ACP representatives when she mentioned it to them at one of the early open house meetings. When we started talking about Hurricane Camille and all the people who died here, and they looked at us like we were idiots. 
They had no idea. They had absolutely no idea of the devastation that occurred here from in 1969. They, what are you talking about, they would say. The population's getting older. There are a lot of people who've moved in here who are going to be affected by the pipeline who don't really know anything about Camille, don't remember it, don't, you know, don't really feel it like those of us who were here did. That's Connie Brennan, current member of the Nelson County Board of Supervisors. Ernie Reed, another longtime resident to Nelson County, explained why these areas are so prone to heavy rains and flooding. geologic history of slope failures and landslides. And Nelson County has a history of large rain events like Hurricane Camille. Hurricane Camille uh, killed hundreds of people in uh, Nelson County uh, in the late 60s when that happened, um, where 36 inches of rain fell in 24 hours. And so um, that is one event. But Nelson County has uh, a weather characteristic called orthographic uplifting. And what that means is, is when hurricanes and weather patterns come up the Mississippi Valley, they tend to stall out on the edge of the Blue Ridge Mountains, and as they cross and the uh, mountains go up, they tend to drop all the rain that is in there because the, the, the higher that the moisture goes up, the less that the air can hold, and so everything comes down. So, um, and so we have a history of, of that. Climate scientists tell us that uh, and we've already seen it, that more intense storms are occurring. Uh, so we can expect more landslides, uh, which could easily expose, the, uh, expose and, and rupture and detonate the, uh, the pipeline. If you're just tuning in, you're catching End of the Line, an ongoing podcast about the pipeline struggles in Virginia and the Mid-Atlantic on WRIR 97.3 FM, Richmond. There are, of course, two high-pressure, 42-inch fracked gas pipelines proposed to cross the state of Virginia. And you can find all episodes covering the ongoing saga at soundcloud.com slash pipeline podcast. I'm Whitney Whiting. We have documented, folks have documented on their own that there are places in these watersheds where there are hundreds of landslides that have happened through time. That's David Sly. He's worked on water quality issues for over 35 years, including time as a water quality specialist and senior engineer with the Virginia Department of Environmental Quality, or DEQ. He now serves as a regulatory systems investigator for the Dominion Pipeline Monitoring Coalition. And in those roles, I did everything from stream and lake studies, pollution investigations, and also permitting of potential polluting activities. So I know uh, through long experience what kind of threats different activities pose to water quality, but also how the law and how the regulations are supposed to apply to those. I worked for the Maryland Department of Environment as an environmental regulator in inspection and compliance on construction sites, water pollution issues. Bill Limpert and his wife Lynn would be in the blast zone of the Atlantic Coast Pipeline, 
which plans to construct right along the spine of a narrow ridge behind their house in Bath County. So I've got some familiarity with, uh, with construction and, uh, and, and water pollution issues. Um, I should say that the planned sediment controls for this project are thinner than paper uh, and they won't work. All this immense construction is to be controlled by silt fence. Those are those black plastic fences you see next to some construction sites. Hay bales, uh, seed and straw mulch, uh, and some water diversions. Uh, completely inadequate. Would never pass muster in just about any other venue. We're going to end up with massive pollution to the to every stream that this pipeline crosses, including the, the, the cleanest waters in the state of Virginia, out in Western Virginia. And that's so I brought that up in my comments to FERC too. I said, how are you going to mitigate with the flooding that we've had and the way we've seen complete trees washing downstream, if the pipe's exposed, mm -hmm. what, number one, what kind of damage does that cause to the pipe? And um, they're, Again, they're just these pat answers that don't really, they said that they would not use a concrete mesh, they would use some other method that would not be destructive to the creek like that. Okay, so what are they gonna do? What FERC and what DEQ has done is they said, give us, give us plans as to how you will make sure there's no problem in those areas. So the companies give them hundreds, thousands of pages and say, here's what we will do. But when you look behind those covers, you find that there's, there's very little substance there. You find that again, they're laying out, well, we may do X, Y, or Z in a certain circumstance and we'll let you know later. They'll say this method of blocking sediments or this method of keeping landslides from occurring we think it's going to be effective, but they don't give us the calculations and the, and the facts that an engineer or a scientist would require to make that conclusion. Citizens themselves are having to do that kind of work that neither the companies nor the regulatory agencies have done yet. You can start to see the orange flags right there. Oh, yeah. That, we'll just stop here and we'll walk. Come on, Cliff. Listeners will recall Richard Averett from episode two, when we walked with him down to Spruce Creek, which would be crossed by the ACP. At that time, he informed us that he still did not know how exactly the company intends to cross his property or how they will mitigate against potential risks, a common refrain from impacted residents along both pipelines. Even in the hottest, driest summer, this creek is running. It's all spring-fed, you know, it's beautiful. It's one of the only places around where you can still catch native trout. Uh, so I've read, I did a bunch of reading in the DEIS about how they cross creeks. There are wet trench crossings, which basically mean they just cut through the creek while it flows, and they put some sediment barrier or something downstream, and eventually, they, they, they drop a section of pipe down in it, and then they fill the rocks and dirt back over the top, and they never even stop the creek. Some of them are dry creek crossings where they will put some things up that catch all the species that are trying to swim down the creek, and they try to like hold on to them and save them, while they, while they literally will dry the creek, they'll, they'll dam it up, 
and then they will they will put the trench through, right? And then and then let and then try to restore it back over. Here's the thing. This is one of the things that's making all of us citizens who have a right to comment on the draft environmental impact statement crazy is they don't tell us what the hell they're going to do. So if they don't tell you how they're going to cross the creek, how can you make any comment on it, right? It's like we're going to use one of these three methods. Well, which one? We are on behalf of the DPMC and some of the other groups, we're actually having engineers look at the specific plans to the extent they'll provide them to us and do all the calculations to show that no, you will not be controlling that water the way it's supposed to be controlled. And I just don't think there was very, there was any prior planning to this. It's like they came in and said, oh, we want to put a pipeline. We want it to go here. We want it to go start here. And they didn't think about where it was going, what it was going to cross, you know, how best to lay it out. None, none of, it's like, did anybody really think about it? It's absolutely destructive. It's been destroying our family and people's lives for the last two and a half years, right? So they haven't even put anything in the ground other than their stupid stakes and flags and markers guessing at where the best place to put this thing is. Well, there's no best location because in my opinion, the gas that they're fracking needs to just stay in the ground. The hundreds, the thousands of water bodies that would be affected by these projects and the the difficulty of building them safely and in a way that is sensitive to the environment uh, makes them absolutely unprecedented. And in fact, it makes them almost inconceivable that you would attempt these projects. We asked Bill and his wife Lynn what was next for them after having submitted so much research to federal and state agencies. So what do you, um what do you do after you have done the research and you have the background that you have and you present the information? And I don't know if the DEIS for the ACP, if it reflects anything that you've submitted, I would imagine. Not a thing. So what do you do then? How do you even just emotionally deal with like next steps? Well, that's a good question. I mean, um, we're I think our, the only thing we can do is try to bring this to the awareness of the greater public. This is happening to us and our neighbors and, and, and our communities. Uh, it is happening to a lot of communities because these pipelines are just everywhere now. There, there's a feeding frenzy to frack uh, fossil fuels and Right now, that's all we can do, is try to, to let people know what's happening and, and try to, to get a groundswell of people opposing, to oppose it. I'm a firm believer that the water that stands out in my field after it rains and filters down through the bedrock is the water that, you know, you're probably drinking in Richmond at some point. I mean, I really am a believer in that. I mean, it's, it's not my water, you know, but it's the water for everybody that lives around here. You know, we're stewards up here of, of the natural resources, and I think everybody up here feels that way. I think people from small communities, when you, when you 
you know, don't rely on the, the local community metropolitan, you know, water pipes and things. I think everybody kind of feels a sense of stewardship for the natural resources. It's almost a violent action because we're not just talking about digging a ditch. We're talking about excavating huge 10 foot or more ditches that may be 25 foot wide. And we're talking about going through bedrock. We're talking about the, the basic rock that underlies everything. And they're gonna have to blast with dynamite through those areas. And so it's, it's not this kind of benign sounding activity that they present to us. It's, it's violence on the land is what it is. You know, if you screw up the water, you've screwed up everything. I mean, you know, that's what people don't seem to realize. There, there are wars being fought in this world over water. These mountains, these central Appalachian mountains, have greater biodiversity than just about anywhere else in the country. We're threatening some things that are absolutely irreplaceable. More to come in the next episode of End of the Line. This episode produced by Katie Wood and Whitney Whiting, with support from Matthew Conover, Aaron Bish, Sarah Suarez, and Caroline Creasy. Special thanks to Mara Robbins, Mert Reeves, Mary Beth and Bruce Coffey, Carolyn Riley, Mike Carter, Richard and Jill Averett, David Sly, and Bill and Lynn Limpert. Music by Restroy. Find the full EP at milkfactoryproductions.bandcamp.com. Additional music by Lobo Marino. Find them on lobomarinomusic.com. Extra special thanks to all those doing unseen, uncredited work in Virginia to dismantle all forms of white supremacy and exploitation. Catch up on this and all episodes from End of the Line at soundcloud.com slash pipeline podcast. In the next episode of End of the Line. If DEQ goes forward with their recommendations they have right now, it will be professionally incompetent and it will not meet minimum standards of scientific proof. That's as clear as we can be.